DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports, most valuable podcast presented by 4 for 4 Football. I'm 4 for 4 Senior DFS Editor Chris Raybon, joined as always by my guy, Mr. TJ Hernandez. What's up, TJ? What's up, Chris? Uh, just getting ready for, for week five, already a, a quarter of the way through the season, man. I feel like we just started, but I'm, I'm ready to get this one going. Yeah, man. Most definitely. I think last week was one of my favorite weeks in a while. Just a lot of unexpected things went down. Uh, the music that played us in before we get any further was Outcast Rosa Parks off their 1998 album, Aquemini. Really great song one of the classics. So be sure to check that out if you liked it. And I just want to remind you guys that if you rate and review DFS MVP on iTunes and you send a screenshot to DFS MVP at 444.com, you can get 25% off the 444 DFS subscription. Got a lot to get to today. All the week five position by position picks and then for our theory segment we're going to do something a little bit different today we're going to do a in-depth breakdown of the primetime slate so the Sunday Monday night slate a lot of people have been asking us about that uh, lately and so we're gonna add a lot more in-depth breakdown to our uh, four for four slate breakdowns for FanDuel and DraftKings. And we're also going to, to talk about it on the podcast and we'll see how it goes. We might go back to theory some weeks, do kind of mix it up. But this week we're going to go with a breakdown of the primetime slate. That's the Texans Chiefs game and then the Vikings Bears game on Monday night. Since I think a lot more people are playing that now, especially with DraftKings taking that Sunday night game off the main slate. So let's get right into it with the quarterbacks for week number five. TJ, who you got? Quarterback. Yeah, I'm going to start uh, with a, a game that I think both you and I are really interested in. And I'm, I like Carson Wentz at 7,600 and uh, 6,600 on DraftKings because uh, not, not starting with the chalk picks here, uh, he's going to be a, a really nice pivot play off of Dak, who is going to be in one of the really chalky games. Uh, Dallas and Green Bay are the only game on the main slate with a projected game total over 50 points. So I I like going to Wentz uh, as Philadelphia has the third highest implied point total. So they still are expected to score a lot of points, just under 26 points, favored by six and a half points at home against Arizona. And uh, now that we have... Uh, Schedule adjusted fantasy points data up on four for four. One thing people really like to talk about uh, is funnel defenses and what we can do with those schedule adjusted fantasy points is look at teams that uh, perform well against, say, the quarterback or poorly against running backs. And Arizona kind of fits that bill a little bit. They rank in the middle of the pack uh, in running back AFPA, but they rank 25th in quarterback AFPA. 
So uh, that just says that if the Eagles do end up scoring scoring a few points, it's going to be through the air. And then Arizona has one of the lowest adjusted sack rates in the leagues, which uh, lends to that fantasy point ranking against quarterbacks. Just really hard time uh, getting after the quarterback. And they've allowed a touchdown on almost a third of their red zone attempts. So kind of everything points to if Philly ends up putting up a nice number, it's going to be through the air. Yeah, man, I was actually really high on Carson Wentz uh, coming into the season. I think it was on the uh, Fantasy Goodfellas pod. Shout out to Justin. Um, but I was, I talked about how of all these NFC East quarterbacks, I thought Wentz was getting slept on. I thought he deserved to be in that same conversation as Cousins and Dak and EY, even as those, as those kind of fringe QB1 guys. Um, I do probably disagree with you a little on this game. Um, we'll get into that a little later, um, in, ter- in terms of the bold calls and whatnot. But for now, it's actually funny because the quarterback I got is in the same game. Carson Palmer, he's 5,900 on DraftKings and 7,200 on FanDuel. Uh, the Cardinals are in Philly. They are underdogs, but talk about a funnel defense. David Johnson's injury for the Arizona Cardinals has turned them into a funnel offense. They essentially just pass. They are 68% pass in the first half of games this season. That is tied for most in the NFL. And because of that, Carson Palmer, he's averaging 320.5 passing yards per game. That's second in the league very quietly. And there's a big gap between him and third place. Third place is around 288 yards. So Carson Palmer really airing it out. And also quietly, his wide receivers are finally healthy. John Brown came back last week, should play again this week. J.J. Nelson's a couple weeks removed from missing that game with the hamstring injury. Jerron Brown coming on really well here, 100 yards in his last game, a touchdown the week before. And of course, we have Larry Fitzgerald catching game winners. Um, And now Andre Ellington's playing even more because their running game has been just so bad that they've decided, hey, we might as well put this put our pass catching running back in there and at least we can kind of create some matchups, create a little extension of the running game by using a short passing game to Ellington. So I really just like what Carson Palmer has to work with and just what's going on with that team is kind of dictating that he has to throw the ball a lot. Offensive line is getting a little healthier too. So I think everything's just kind of coming together well for him. Now the Philadelphia Eagles do have a pretty solid defense on paper, but their one weakness is really on the back end, particularly at the cornerback position and that showed itself over the past two weeks quarterbacks very similar to Carson Palmer uh, same draft class I believe Eli Manning 366 yards against the Eagles in week three largely on the back of his wide receivers making plays I believe they caught 25 balls uh, just the wide receivers in that game for the Giants and then last week you had Philip Rivers throwing for 347 yards against the Philadelphia Eagles and you had Tyrell Williams and you had Keenan Allen both going over 100 yards in that game. And of course, the Cardinals strength right now in offense is their wide receiver. So I do like Palmer's matchup in this game. I think he's a very uh, affordable option that could give you that that top tier production this week. Let's go into the running. Oh, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say I think that that game is is only projected for 45 points. So uh I mean it's relative to some of the other games it's not a low total, but I think that is one of the games that that could uh shoot out that maybe people might not be paying attention to as a game to stack. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I uh, for the uh 4 for 4 DFS subscribers, you guys know that I kind of switched up my format the way I write up my slate breakdown. 
now is I kind of look for the games that I think are going to go over and the teams I think are going to go over. And I'm kind of going back and forth on this one because for all the yardage and stuff Carson Palmer has put up, the Cardinals have been scoring in like this 18 to, to 20 point range every game. So I think they could finally break through, but it, it's just, a, it is a fascinating game and we will talk more about it. But who do you have at running back in week five? Running back. Yeah, the way everything shakes out this week, uh, I, I think paying up for running back is is really the move, and, and surprisingly, it hasn't been this year, uh, especially with the DJ injury. But we see Le'Veon Bell getting back to the Le'Veon Bell that we expect, and I'm I'm pretty much locking him into everything this week. Uh, he's priced at 9,500 on both sides. We, we keep harping on this funnel defense, but now that we have some data to work with, uh, Jacksonville is one of those funnel defenses. They rank. First in the league in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. They've allowed the least passing yards in the league so far this year, but 30th in running back adjusted fantasy points allowed. Third most total yards to the position. Uh, as eight and a half point home favorites, that's obviously a very favorable position to uh, give your running back a, a pretty hefty workload. And Le'Veon saw 65% of Pittsburgh touches last week. That's the highest of any player this entire season. And you talked about the work you've been doing. Uh, one thing that I always reference uh, at 4 for 4 is our leverage scores. And even though Le'Veon Bell is projected to be the highest owned player on both sites at any position, he still has a leverage score over one and a half for both sites. And basically that leverage score, uh, you've talked about it before, it doesn't really have to be the highest leverage score but anything over one suggests that maybe we should look to be overweight on that player. So even though Le'Veon's going to command that really high ownership total, still a player that I'm going to want in a ton of my lineups and definitely don't consider this a fade spot just because of ownership. Yeah, definitely. For those of you guys not familiar, GPP leverage score essentially just looks at a player's value in terms of his odds of hitting uh, value in tournaments. And then it compares that to the other available players around and kind of calculates what his implied ownership should be given, you know, all of the players around him and his probability. And then anything over one essentially suggests that you still have positive leverage uh, by rostering that player. So even sometimes there's a highly owned player and, you know, he'll have a score below one. That essentially means he, he yes, he is in a good spot and he's, he, he has good odds of hitting tournament value, but he's going to be so highly owned that it essentially cancels that out to, to a large degree. Whereas, you know, when you have a guy over one, it essentially means that, Hey, there's still some, some leverage to be had here. There's still some value to be had here. So, um, for those of you guys who aren't familiar, check it out uh, with the four for four DFS subscription. And then for the four for four DFS subscribers, I've gotten some questions about it too. You know, what do you do if, the guys have the highest leverage scores on a slate, but they're not necessarily the greatest values. And that's what I'm trying to explain here. It's you don't need to have the highest leverage score and you don't need to be using the guys with the highest. Like, for example, a guy like maybe Amari Cooper last week probably had a pretty high leverage score just because he's projected to be well owned. He does get targets or whatnot, but you know, you don't really want to play him against Denver. Um, so it's kind of more, it's not a, it's not a method to essentially just pick the top players like a value, uh, a me- metric like a points per dollar, a plus minus or something like that. It's more when, when once you have a player pool, you can kind of use those leverage scores to kind of decide your exposures, or you can look at it by salary range and kind of pick out the the higher leverage plays in a particular salary range. Um, rather than going with maybe the highest owned option, you know, you can kind of find some other high leverage plays. You know, for example, on FanDuel, you have a bunch of players in the six thousands every week, and there's usually a couple of them that are high owned. Maybe it's like a Larry Fitzgerald or somebody, but you can usually find a bunch of other higher leverage plays that are still pretty good values in there. 
and they'll have leverage scores above one. So that's kind of how you use those GPP leverage scores. Let's get into running back for me. And I'm going with a guy who, you know, before the season, I was on the most accurate podcast with John Paulson. That's a great season long podcast, by the way. If you guys are playing in your regular fantasy leagues, definitely check that out. Also on four for four, but talk to John about how I felt that Todd Gurley had the best chance out of everyone besides Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson, who's of course now hurt at being that, that number three running back this year. And so far it's, it's worked out and I'm, I'm going right back to him this week. He's a home favorite against the Seattle Seahawks. And I think there might be a perception that the Seahawks are a tough defense against everyone really, but that hasn't been the case this season. The Seahawks are ranked 21st in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed per game. They've given up 5.1 yards per carry to running backs and Todd Gurley leads all players, not, not just running backs, but all players in the NFL in fantasy points per game on DraftKings and FanDuel, 31.7 DraftKings points per game, 27.6 FanDuel points per game. He leads the NFL in touches per game with 26 and a half, averaging five receptions for 58 and a half yards per game. Sean McVay getting him involved in the passing game. So even if something unexpected happened, even if game script goes awry, even though they're fit to the favorite, Gurley is going to be able to make up for that in the passing game. He's playing 84% of the snaps. On FanDuel, his salary actually went down uh, $200 from last week. He's 7800 on FanDuel. Uh, so just really a, a good spot again for Todd Gurley this week. And I'm, I'm hoping, I think he'll still have decent ownership, but I don't think it'll be out of control, especially with Le'Veon and Zeke on the, on the docket. And, you know, that, that Seattle defense kind of scaring some people away. So I, I love Gurley as a play here, um, in week five. Yeah. I, I like that too. I mean, the thing you mentioned there is I, I think people are still going to perceive Seattle as a tough matchup, but uh, at least so far into the season, they just haven't been that Seattle de- defense that we've come to know. Most definitely. Uh, what are you about wide receiver? Who you got this week? Wide receiver. Uh, yeah. I mean, starting with a, a player that we mentioned, uh, we like the two quarterbacks in the Philly Arizona game and uh, the highest volume player uh, from those quarterbacks is Larry Fitzgerald, uh, $6,700 on FanDuel, seen double digit targets per game. Uh, it's It's been a little bit up and down, seen double digit targets in two games and then uh, seven or less in, in two other games, but still just prices the wide receiver 14 uh, despite that volume. You mentioned that Philadelphia is uh, 30th in wide receiver adjusted fantasy points allowed. Uh, they They've allowed the most yards to opposing wide receivers, including three 100-yard wide receivers in the last two weeks. You mentioned the the two last week, Keenan Allen and Tyrell Williams. Uh, we know Fitz could get that through volume uh, a little more like Keenan Allen did last week. And uh, this, this price range just in general on, on both sides really is going to really determine how well your lineups uh, come together because, as I mentioned, I think you, you're going to want to get to those higher-priced running backs. What you do at, at uh, quarterback and tight end is kind of going to depend on if you pay up or not but uh, I don't think you can really pay up at wide receiver and I, I really like this price range so Fitz is going to get you that volume and then uh, if this game does shoot out like I expect teams have thrown 76% of the time in the red zone uh, versus Philly this year 
Uh, moving over onto my my DraftKings player that I like, Golden Tate's at 6,300. He is our top projected value on DraftKings, averaging eight targets per game. But his two home games this year, he's seen uh, double digit targets, and he shows up in in both of four for four optimal lineups, both Fanduel and DraftKings. So he's a guy that's just a volume play for me that fits into that price range that I like really well. Uh, not going to see a, a huge amount of red zone work, but he does get a little more than people expect. So uh, Tate's a really good cash game play for me. His ceiling's always a, a little bit questionable, but one of the better floors you're going to find this week. Yeah, I like the Tate play a lot. Um, that that was a guy, you know, when I was kind of breaking down each game, game by game, uh, it just I just kept coming back to Tate as the guy that was going to be targeted against Carolina. They play a lot of zone defense. Tate is a guy that could really find those, find the soft spot in those zones. And he actually has four red zone targets leading the the Lions this year. We saw him almost get that 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 uh that that game winning touchdown a couple of weeks ago. So he's getting targeted in close a little more. I think his ceiling on DraftKings is actually pretty high because he can always put up that kind of 10, 10 catch 100 plus yard game. You know, even right. if he's only averaging 10, 11 yards per catch, he gets you that three point bonus and he gets, he gets you the full PPR. So I really like the tape play, especially on DraftKings. My wide receivers, I'll start with DraftKings. We have Des Bryant here at 6,500 and that's just too low for Des Bryant. I know he's not the same Des Bryant he was a few years ago where he's just taking the top off the defense. I think he's slowed down a little bit, um, physically. But he's still big and physical and, and a, one of the better receivers in the NFL. And the Green Bay Packers, their weakness on defense is the wide receiver position. I mean, they, they are 21st in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. That is their, their lowest rating among all the big four positions and 67% of opponents pass attempts versus the Packers have gone to the wide receiver position and that's tied for second most in the NFL. Deza scored a touchdown in eight of his last 15 games with Dak Prescott, but that's actually eight of 12 if you remove the week 17 game last year where they started but rested pretty much the whole game and the two Giants games in that span where Dez just doesn't ever produce against the Giants and Janoris Jenkins, but Packers don't have any cornerback like that. Dez's price is depressed. He started the season with three tough cornerbacks and Jenkins and then the Broncos no fly zone. And then he faced Patrick Peterson. Uh, so he's, he's, he's had some tough matchups to start the season and he got 98 yards last week. Still, still having some trouble with the efficiency, but I think this is a real coming out party for him this week and what probably will be a high scoring game because I don't see that Dallas defense stopping Aaron Rodgers too much. And uh, Dez ha- actually has a $1,000 price drop since week one on DraftKings. So love the salary there for Dez. Love the matchup. Love everything about it. And on FanDuel, Devontae Parker, he's down to 6,100 versus the Tennessee Titans. Amidst all these struggles for Miami, and there have been a ton, Parker is averaging nine targets per game. He's had at least 69 yards in every game and the titans are dead last in four for fours schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to the wide receiver position they've allowed uh six catch games to five separate receivers already this season and they've allowed eight touchdowns to wide receivers that's two more than any other team in the league so i think Parker's in a really good spot. Jay Cutler obviously likes him. And just when you watch Parker on the screen, he kind of jumps off the screen a little bit, kind of showing what made him so popular coming out of the draft and what makes people kind of 
always like him and stand behind him, even when he's not really producing in fantasy, because, you know, he's, he's got a lot of talent and it's starting to show this year with the volume that he's been given. So like Devontae Parker this week, expect Miami to finally get some things right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think if people just look at um, market share, uh, Jarvis Landry is going to show up better than Devontae Parker. But uh, one thing that that has kind of caught fire this year is considering air yards and and uh, Josh Hermsmeyer, if you go to airyards.com, gives a really good breakdown of uh, all the statistics. And then on, on Roster Coach, he has a full course that explains why air yards are predictive. And Chris, you've al- also done an article on 4 for 4 that explains why uh, deeper targets are, are uh, very predictive of fantasy success. And only one player in the league, A.J. Green, has accounted for uh, a higher percentage of air yards than Devontae Parker. So when, when they are going to him, they're going to him in situations that uh, generally benefit fantasy owners. Absolutely. And I, that, and he was the fan to play too. If I'm on DraftKings, you know, I, st- I, I probably do go with Jarvis Landry. I think he's down, he's down in that 5,800 range or something like that. And he's kind of a similar play to Tate. I mean, he could just rack up the receptions. And if he gets over a hundred yards, you're really in business. Um, I think the whole Miami offense, if they're, if they don't produce this week, it, they're really in trouble. I expect them to. They did have a tough start to the season being displaced by Hurricane Irma and they had the bye in week one and then they didn't get to play at home, actually play at home. And then they went to London last week and it's just been a tough few weeks for Miami, but I think back at home, they should have a, a coming out party. I think Tennessee might be in a little trouble. We don't know if Marcus Mariota is going to, to play. So I think this is the a prime spot for Adam Gase in Miami to, to get right. Let's go on to the tight end position. Who are you looking at this week, TJ? Tight end. Yeah, it, it looks like, at least just based on early projections, that uh, the the most popular tight ends are going to be more uh, expensive tight ends, maybe like Kelsey and, uh, and Ertz, at least in tournaments. But I just, at least so far, I like the way lineups shake out if I pay down for tight end. And uh, one guy that's been ascending in terms of, of uh, workload, but maybe not so much in price, is Evan Ingram. He's still really affordable at 5400 on FanDuel and $4,000 on DraftKings. Uh, after his 11 target performance last week, only Zach Ertz has seen more targets than Evan Ingram. So we know that's going to, uh, both very well for him on, on DraftKings where he is still priced, uh, really low and where that uh, difference in pricing is, is really huge. And he is kind of more of a fl- floor play because, uh, he hasn't seen much red zone work, just two red zone targets, uh, so far this year. But I think that could show up this week. Uh, the Giants are four point favorites with an implied point total just over 25. And I haven't talked about this this year yet because we don't have that much data but uh relative implied point totals looking at implied point total compared to a team's points per game and giants have been one of the lowest scoring teams but their implied point totals nine points over their point per game average so we could see that red zone work uh spike for ingram this week and this could be where he turns that increasing volume into a really big fantasy day Absolutely. And I don't, I don't think Evan Ingram's ever, uh, not a ceiling play. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you just look at, go down the list of tight ends, you know, well, Gronk's not on the slate. Um, Kelsey, okay, but outside of Kelsey, I mean, what tight end in the league is, is more athletic than Evan Ingram oh, yeah. right now? I mean, I, I can't even name one. So I think he's always in that, in that mix to just break off a big play, whether it's happened yet 
or not uh, for tight end. I'm going right back to Austin Safarian Jenkins. It didn't quite work out last week. The Jets ended up running for way more yards than I think anyone thought. They got that 75-yarder for Bilal Powell. Elijah McGuire broke another one. But ASJ did have a, a solid four-catch, 46-yard day last week after the five-catch week the week before. And then the Jets went out and cut Will Ty, who was actually starting for them at tight end earlier in the year. So it looks like they've fully committed now to Jenkins and the Cleveland Browns, man, they're dead last in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. In week one, they gave up six catches, 41 yards and two touchdowns to Jesse James. The next week they gave up eight for 91 to Ben Watson. And then last week they gave up another two touchdowns to Tyler Croft, who, by the way, I had written up in my uh, FanDuel slate breakdown for 4 for 4 DFS subscribers. So I hope somebody profited off that because I don't think he was very highly owned at all. But the, the tight ends I just mentioned, I mean, none of these guys are, are even world beaters. I, you know, ASJ is probably the most athletic of, of the bunch and the purest pass catcher of the bunch of these tight ends. So I think that he has a great chance to continue the streak of Cleveland just getting shellacked by the tight end position. And even in the red zone for Cleveland, 50% of opposing pass attempts have gone to the tight end uh, position. And that's that's ridiculously high. I mean, when you consider that tight ends get about one of every five targets, about 20% of of targets uh, throughout the NFL for them to be for opponents to be going to the tight end position half the time in the red zone just shows that this is really a weakness for the Browns. And this has been that way since last season, even so I'm going with ASJ again. Hopefully he rewards me better this week. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a fine call. Just, I mean, the, the position's kind of a dumpster fire right now that there aren't too many choices, especially if you want to go down in salary, but I'll, Go ahead and move on to my kicker. I started with the Eagles, then went to uh, the same game in uh, my wide receiver. So I'm going to stick with uh, this game with my kicker, Jake Elliott's $4,700, right near the top of our value report on 4 for 4. And I I mentioned it before, 6.5 point favorites, 25 uh, point implied team total. The Eagles are at home. It checks all the boxes. Hopefully, uh, if you do play Elliott, it doesn't go uh, Chris's game script way and and the Eagles (laughs) stay ahead, which we like for our kickers because we want them to keep kicking in the fourth quarter. Definitely. Uh, defense, I got the New York Jets. I'm going with them against the Cleveland Browns because, again, I think you have to target the Cleveland Browns here, even though the Jets are on the road and they opened as two and a half point underdogs. And what I try to do at the, at the beginning of the week is I try to essentially, I just make my own lines for each game and, and before I even look at the Vegas lines just to see what I thought the line was going to be or what I thought it should be and compare it to what the odds makers have actually put out and I had the Jets as favorites in this game by I think a point point and a half and they opened as two and a half point underdogs but we're we're sitting here recording this Wednesday night and the line has already moved to a pick'em so it already moved two and a half points in just a few days I'm sure by the time the week is over the Jets actually will be a favorite in this game and I think they should be Cleveland is 28th in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed two opposing defenses their 10 turnovers are most in the league 13 sacks allowed is tied for seventh most in the league Deshaun Kaiser got benched for part of last game we don't really know what what's going on there whoever Cleveland ends up going with that quarterback 
not much experience there at the position. So I think this team is going to continue to be mistake prone, turnover prone. They're really having a hard time. And we've seen this Jets defense play better than we expected. The, the rookie safeties are starting to come through. Morris Claiborne's holding up at corner. The corners are kind of holding up more often than not lately. And I think this defense is kind of, they're, they're, they're Todd Bowles defense and they're playing pretty well. And I think they can go into Cleveland and, uh, put up some DST points on the, on the Browns, but fantasy football fans, listen up. It's not too late to download the highest rated fantasy football app, Draft. Play in a real live snake draft, but be done in under five minutes. And they last for just one week. Draft start every couple of minutes. So you can join one right now for week five. And the best part, you play for cold, hard cash. And get this, your chances of winning are 80% better than on the salary cap sites. All new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit, but you have to use the promo code 4 for 4 That's right. Play a real money game for free just by using the promo code 4 for 4 That's the number 4, the letters F-O-R, and the number 4, and it gets even better. Draft is so sure you'll love it that they're even offering DFS MVP listeners a money-back guarantee up to $100, so just search Draft. Draft in your app store or go to draft.com and come play free right now with promo code 4 for 4 Now let's get into our DFS theory segment. On It's not really a DFS theory segment. We're going to just break down the primetime slate, which I know a lot of people are playing these days. And <clears throat> I think there's a big edge to be had in these slates. As we talked about when we were doing the DFS theory segment, I believe it was last week, on small slates. So we have two games. We have the Kansas City Chiefs at the Houston Texans. The Chiefs are favored by a point, point and a half, depending where you look. Over-under is about 46, 47, depending on where you look. And I think the building blocks in this game are, are pretty simple. I mean, I think DeAndre Hopkins, he's going to run a good portion of his routes on Terrence Mitchell, who has been the most targeted cornerback in the league, 38 targets. And then, I mean, you got Kareem Hunt here, who he's taken the league by storm, didn't score a touchdown last week for the first time, but over 100 scrimmage yards again. I think those guys are, are the two building blocks. TJ, uh, do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, on on these small slates, I think that uh, when you have that crazy high volume, you basically just press the lock button on it. We talked a little bit uh, last week about that, but uh, another reason you could do that is that uh, DraftKings went back to their normal prime time slate pricing, I believe. Last week, they, they gave unique pricing for Sunday-Monday games, and that made it... Uh, it just kind of changed the dynamic of the game when when you have unique pricing and players priced uh, up or down for the slate and it turns into a kind of a value battle uh, that's not so great on a two game slate what we're looking to do is find a couple of these key players like you mentioned and then work around those ancillary pieces that's where the edge really comes in i mean you're you're not going to get much edge by fading uh hunt or or nuke especially on this slate yeah, I think, especially on DraftKings, I mean, if you're playing the FanDuel primetime slate, Hunt is an interesting fade, uh, just because, for example, last week he scored, he didn't score a touchdown, so he got the 14.1 FanDuel points, and it's conceivable that two other running backs, whether it be Jordan Howard or, or, or Murray or Tariq Cohen or Lamar Miller, it's conceivable that two running backs could outdo that if if Hunt doesn't score a touchdown and 
two other running backs do score a touchdown because then they would only need, you know, they would, they'd need probably 60 to 80 yards, depending on how many yards uh, Hunt gets. But on, on DraftKings, where you have that extra flex spot and you have the, that minimum pricing floor that's a lot lower, it, it really becomes difficult to fade somebody like Kareem Hunt. So I think, yeah, you have to really build around him in, in that, in that format, especially. So let's get into some of the, these other pieces then in this, in this game. I think one that's really interesting is Bruce Ellington of the Houston Texans because he's actually, you know, he's playing 79% of the snaps. Braxton Miller essentially is just not a starter for them anymore. I, I believe he wasn't even, uh, didn't even play a snap last week. I don't even know if he was active, uh, but Ellington, 79% of the snaps, just missed a touchdown last week. And he's, we always talk about Kansas City and we talk about Terrence Mitchell on that, on that right side. And then, and then there's Gaines in the slot. And Philip Gaines is an, is another weakness of that defense. And that's, that's somebody Ellington will be running routes against. So, I mean, if you're, if you're stacking with Watt, Watt, Deshaun Watson and you have Nuke locked in there, a lot of people are probably just going to go with those top wide receivers. They're going to go with the Stephon Diggs and the Adam Thielens and the Tyreek Hills and maybe even some Kendall Wright if they're, if they're going cheap, but not a lot of people are really going to look to play anyone else, you know, or Will Fuller will probably be the play if people are going to, to play another Houston wide receiver. But I think, I think Andre Ellington is a guy that could easily be second on Houston among Houston receivers in catches and yards. Yeah. I, I think that a lot of times uh, these slates come down to that, which pass catcher uh, is, is going to fly under the radar. And I, you mentioned Fuller and People are going to look at these smaller slates that aren't familiar with them. And Will Fuller feels like a play that you aren't usually comfortable with. So uh, that's maybe as risky as people go. But uh, a lot of people are following that line of thinking. I, I like Ellington. And uh, another pass catcher that I'm trying to figure out is, well, a situation I'm trying to figure out is what's going to happen with Mitch Trubisky under center? Because we've seen it before with rookie quarterbacks. They, uh, any target share target numbers that we've seen in the past can kind of go out the window. They have a guy that uh, is their favorite or kind of their security play. And it's, it fits the narrative that rookie tight end, rookie quarterbacks like the tight end, but I don't think it's because of that narrative. I think it's because we've seen uh, Zach Miller just be a, a relatively consistent guy when uh, targeted often. And they just don't have a lot of reliable pass catchers on that bears offense right now. So I think we could see Trubisky go to Miller. He saw, uh, I think seven or eight targets in the first two games of the year and then fall, fell off the last couple of weeks. So uh, Zach Miller's, uh, pass catcher kind of in that Bruce Ellington people aren't going to be comfortable with him uh, field that I'm interested in getting to yeah I like it and I think that's you know very a very viable play Minnesota's worst position in terms of schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed is the tight end position and I mean somebody's got to catch the ball for Chicago besides Tariq Cohen and he was even I don't even know what's going on with him they used him very questionably yeah. for a large part of that Packers game they didn't really start using him until the game was over I thought I thought maybe he got hurt and then they started using him like in the end of the fourth quarter where I would think you wouldn't use him because you don't want to get the little guy <laughs> banged up but it I don't know John Fox is like the new Jeff Fisher yeah that's so uh sorry I was gonna say that's really curious I thought he was injured too because uh he was a player that it, 
on Thursday, he he made sense to play because you figured that that was kind of how the game flow was going to go. If Cohen is a viable play, it's going to be in a spot where uh, the Bears are going to be passing a lot. And he accounted for less than 20% of the team touches. Uh, and I think it's just like 30% of the backfield touches. So it was, it was a really curious situation because that's the spot where you would expect him to excel and he didn't. So I'm, that's another reason why I'm kind of on Miller. I'm just curious about what's going on with Cohen. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would think he'll probably rebound and I probably like him even more than, than Jordan Howard, just because we, because of the uncertainty. I mean, Howard kind of was the guy last week or the last two weeks. And although Cohen did have a big week against Pittsburgh as well, but I think a lot, I think more people will be on Howard now. And I think it makes a good time to pivot to Cohen, who, you know, all you need on these small slates is one big play. And Cohen certainly has the speed to deliver that. I think another interesting pass catcher, if we're going to stay in this Chicago, Minnesota game is Deontay Thompson. Now he's, he's essentially kind of been their biggest play guy when the few times they they do go to wide receivers and he's going to run most of his routes or at least the majority of his routes on Trey Waynes and not Xavier Rhodes. Xavier Rhodes, really good cornerback, um, responsible for down games for a lot of top receivers over the last year or two, you know, Odell Beckham, Antonio Brown and whatnot. So I think Deontay Thompson's a guy that, you know, with this new quarterback, you could always, you, you could always kind of see a new receiver kind of jump up. And I think, again, if people roster a receiver in this game on Chicago, I think most likely it'll be Kendall Wright because people saw him score that touchdown last week on national TV and he's priced a little higher. It just kind of makes sense. I mean, he is the slot guy, but Kendall Wright hasn't been playing a full complement of snaps because they don't play with three wide receivers a ton. And I don't know if that's going to change. I think Thompson is an interesting play. I know in, in the first preseason game, Thompson caught five for 64 with Trubisky playing a large portion of that game. So I'm sure they have some type of, of chemistry going on there. And I think he's another one of those pass catchers where he could be that third or fourth pass catcher that, that kind of is the, the third or fourth highest scoring pass catcher on a slate that maybe no one has or that kind of key value play that no one has. Cause we talked about this last week about only about less than half the time, about 48% of the time does a team's top projected wide receiver actually lead them in fantasy points. So if you're, if you're looking at, if there's, if you have three receiver slots, you're looking at one to two of the number one wide receivers probably not going to be the leading fantasy score for their team. And if it's not, you know, if it's not, if it's not, uh, Kendall Wright for, for the Bears, it'll probably be Thompson. So I think him, I think Zach Miller, I think those guys like that are interesting plays. Um, would you, if you were on FanDuel, would you fade Travis Kelsey? for Zach Miller or any other like Ryan Griffin or just any tight end or you think like Travis Kel- is Travis Kelsey like a 100% exposure is he a guy you think you could you could fade after the big game last week yeah f- I mean fading is a little tricky on these small slates because uh if I am playing short slates I want to play uh as many lineups as possible but I mean if if I'm in a like a, a 50-50 spot where for whatever reason I'm only like playing a single entry or whatever if it's a large field I think on FanDuel, that's a spot where I would, uh, I would probably end up getting off Kelsey and maybe trying to do something like a, go to Tyreek Hill if for whatever reason they didn't fit together and then pair Tyreek with, um, with Zach Miller instead of having, um, instead of having Kelsey. But if it's an exposure type deal, I think Kelsey's closer to a lock, more like a 65%, 70% for me. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's the way it goes too. Um, on FanDuel, I think you can really you have to consider it more in, in tournaments just because mm-hmm. there's there's only one tight end slot, and if Kelsey doesn't lead tight ends in scoring or, or doesn't lead them by a lot in scoring, you're kind of in trouble because not only are you wasting that that seven k salary there, but you're that that seven k salary that you could use that on other players or other positions. So your lineups are probably dead if Kelsey doesn't lead the position in scoring. So, um, but on DraftKings, you can you can do some creative things where you can get Kelsey in and then you can get another tight end in and the flex and do things like that. And a lot of, a lot of entries don't necessarily do that. They usually go three running back or sometimes three wide receivers. So, uh, like that one, uh, what else? Let's see. Who, who do you think is the better play out of Deshaun Watson or Alex Smith? Uh, I think probably people are going to be looking at Deshaun Watson's game last week, and uh, I'm guessing ownership's going to be slanted his way. I actually like going to Alex Smith. Um, there, this offense has just been a little more efficient overall. I think that has a lot to do with Kareem Hunt in the lineup. It just gives Smith more options between uh, Hill, Hunt, and Kelsey. Smith is all of a sudden a, a pretty decent tournament play, especially on this short slate and. Uh, my guess is that ownership is going to favor Watson. So my guy here is Alex Smith. He's probably my, he's probably my favorite tournament quarterback in, on the short slate. Yeah, I think Alex Smith is, he used to be a guy that you pretty much never played in tournaments because mm-hmm. he just would never throw for 300 yards and the Chiefs would always slow the game down. And it just, he would, he would have a good fantasy game, maybe like once a year, if that. But now I think you have to look at him a little differently because if you just look at the guys he's throwing to, as you mentioned, all all of those guys, Hill, Kelsey, Hunt, he can throw a little five-yard pass to them and they can take it 70, 80 yards. So you're looking at a quarterback that's a, got a, a lot more upside just because of the pass catchers that he's throwing to. And then you have everyone else he throws to are is kind of explosive in their own way too. I mean, you can throw to Albert Wilson. He's another guy that can, I mean, he had a really horrible, uh, he didn't like juke last week or something like he like ran into a blocked, uh, <laughs> defender, which was, it was like his R2 button was broken. Like all you got, like every, con, every button was broken. Like all you had to do was spin R2, like any move would have just not got you hit. But, um, <laughs> he, I mean, he's a fast guy. So yeah. he's another one that could take, you know, Alex Smith pass and, and do some things with it. And then they work in those other guys like the Anthony Thomas and Conley can, can go deep. Um, so, uh, even Charkandrick West, good receiver out of the backfield. So a lot of, lot, lot for Alex Smith to work with. I agree with that. I think that Alex Smith is a great tournament player. I, I think my favorite play in this game, in this slate is actually whoever starts a quarterback for Minnesota. It looks like it's going to be Case Keenum, but my reasoning is if you look at this Kansas City Houston game, for all the offense that these teams have been putting up, um, this, this doesn't necessarily have to be an offensive game. I mean, these two teams do have pretty good defenses. I mean, we have seen, I'm, I'm not sure if it's sharp money or not, but we have seen the over under on that game be bet down since it opened. I think it's opened at 47. It's down to 46 and a half. And that makes me think it's sharp money only because the teams put up so much offense recently that I would feel like the, the squares would be betting on the, on the over mm-hmm. for this game. So. I, I think that, I think it, it could very well be a situation where we just have one of those, you know, 20 to 17, 17, 14 games 
And it could also feature the running backs. I mean, we saw Lamar Miller get a lot very involved last week. We know Kareem Hunt's going to be involved. So there's a very conceivable situation where both Watson and Smith don't throw for any touchdowns combined. And if that happens, I think you have to look to that other game. You know, you already mentioned Trubisky and he can run, which is also good. Um, but I think Keenum and, and the Minnesota quarterback, whoever the, even Bradford, if he plays, is going to go under the radar. But you have to look at the receivers he's throwing to, especially now without Dalvin Cook in the lineup. I mean, we've seen Stephon Diggs just carry both Bradford and Keenum already to just monster games just because he's so good and we know how good Thielen is as well so I think on a slate where there's only four teams you can you can kind of get some leverage by going with the the, the quarterback who, whose team has the best um, wide receivers I, I would say Smith has the best pass catchers because when you factor in Kelsey and and Hunt but I think you know Diggs Thielen great wide receivers Thielen both can go deep both can 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 make can do things after the catch can make uh, tough catches so I think uh, and Chicago's defense has been vulnerable now to the past. You know, last season they actually held it in check pretty well, but this year we've seen them be vulnerable. So I think that's a nice uh, leverage play there. And you talked about this, I think it was last week, TJ, that at, the, at those one starter positions, the ownership is just going to be so concentrated. I mean, if it's not Watson, it probably will be Smith. I don't think many people are touching either quarterback in this Chicago game. Yeah, I, the, the thing I'm really interested in this Chicago game is uh, we have a lot of tough defensive matchups, but Chicago uh, ranks lowest in quarterback AFPA and lowest in running back AFPA. So mm-hmm. not only do I like Keenum, I like Latavius because if Minnesota can move the ball well through the air, that's going to set up Latavius for pretty much the only thing he's really been good at, and that's falling into the end zone. Um, Minnesota's favored by three, and the other, I mean, of course Hunt is the best running back in the slate, but Houston ranks first in AFPA, Kansas City ranks second in running back AFPA, and Minnesota ranks sixth against a co Cohen and Howard uh, combo that we don't even have any idea what to do with now. So all of a sudden, the Tavis Murray is like this really attractive player who's going to be the starter uh, in the best matchup at the lowest price. Like that's everything rolled into a, a tournament running back that you want. Right. Like there's, I mean, provided he's healthy, which I mean, he taught, he said he was still kind of, he wasn't completely over his ankle injury, but I mean, even if he's not, he's, he's essentially has to get the entire or a very large workload because Jarek McKinnon is also banged up with an ankle injury. I think he's going to play, but it's, that's not even a guarantee at this point. So, you know, Murray is going to be the guy and there's, there's a, just like there's a conceivable situation where Watson and Smith throw for zero touchdowns. There's a conceivable situation where the other running backs on a slate could run for zero touchdowns. And if Murray gets one, even one touchdown, he doesn't, he might not need that many yards necessarily to hit value or to be that second highest scoring running back on a slate after, after Hunt. So I really do like that Latavius Murray call. It's not, not pretty. You never feel comfortable rostering somebody like that, but yeah, he's the only other favorite on the slate and he has the best schedule adjusted matchup. And I think he will be highly overlooked because there's four running backs that are just more popular than him. So I really do like that. Uh, Murray call. What about at the, at the D defense special teams? Um, I, I actually like the idea of for leverage purposes, using the Kansas city chiefs here at, at, at defense, because I think for number one, I think on FanDuel people are, might not go with the chiefs defense because as you mentioned, ownership is going to slant toward Watson. Ownership is going to, we know everyone's going to be on DeAndre Hopkins. And I think people are going to kind of say, okay, I'm going to stack this Casey Houston game for offense and then look at defense. 
in the Minnesota Chicago game. However, from let for a leverage play, the Chiefs, number one, the favorites. Number two, you know, Watson did it uh, as much as I, and I'm a big fan of Watson. I think he's going to be, you know, even, even before these uh, blowups, I thought he was just, I thought he was the best quarterback in this class. Um, just for kind of like intangible reasons. Um, I know Mahomes kind of probably is more impressive in terms of his arm or whatnot, but I, I'm a fan of Watson, but he's what he's done in statistically this season. He's done against two of the 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 the, the mm-hmm. worst defenses in the league. So this could be even if he's playing well, this could be a whole different game script. I mean, this could be as I mentioned, this could be that 17-14 kind of game where he's not running around all crazy. He's just kind of you know keeping them in the game, managing the game or whatnot. And I think this Kansas City defense, you could look to them. You know, they're going against a young quarterback. They are, have an excellent special teams unit every year. So you have some, you have some leverage, not only in them versus, you know, kind of sabotaging Watson and sabotaging the Houston uh, players that, that people are using, but also you have leverage with Kansas City because their special teams unit is so good that they could easily return a kick or something like that for a, a touchdown. And that takes up offensive possession away from Alex Smith and it takes up uh, and, and Travis Kelsey and Kareem Hunt. So I think you kind of have this double leverage here where you kind of have, you kind of have them sabotaging high owned players and uh, on both sides of the ball in that game. Yeah. I'm, I was pretty much on the same line of reasoning as you just be, especially coming off of that game last week, like I mentioned earlier of, um, not necessarily wanting to have a ton of Watson. I just think people um, might not be as high as they are on the Chiefs. But moving over to, to DraftKings defenses, I still think the Vikings will be, uh, I mean, as highly owned as you can be in this four, in this two game slate. But, uh, they are, I mean, $900 more than the second highest defense on that slate. So that might discourage people a little bit. And I, I just want, uh, some of a defense playing against a rookie quarterback in his first start of his career. There's usually enough, uh, salary that, uh, people aren't going to be discouraged from using the expensive defense because it's, it's pretty easy to do. But I, I just think having that, uh, combo of just going all out on, on Minnesota, like we talked about, and then, uh, Pairing their defense with their offensive players could be a really nice uh, combo. Just going with a full team stack there, and I, I just uh, a rookie quarterback could li- is liable to turn the ball over multiple times, and I want a piece of that. Yeah, I think that Latavius Murray uh, Vikings defense stack is really interesting there because you know there is there is some correlation there between the running back and the defense. So uh, like that call a lot. I think that about does it. Do we, do we miss anybody? Do we, let's see, we got, we got all the Houston pass. Any, any, any pass catchers on KC besides, you know, the, the big, big three? I mean, even with, even though on it's this small slate, I just don't think Albert Wilson or Chris Conley necessarily are, are going to be involved enough. We mentioned a lot of other really viable, cheap options. Uh, even though they're not going to be guys that, that you like, they're going to get the usage in these short slates. Uh, they just come down to usage. A little bit more usage is going to get you, uh, ahead of the game here. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's the way to look at it there. I mean, if, if there's anyone, I, I guess it'd probably be, 
probably be uh, Wilson over Conley, I would say, just because he's got five, three, four, four targets, playing about 58% of snaps, Um, just more higher percentage stuff, especially on DraftKings. I guess on FanDuel, maybe Conley just for that deep that deep ball, but I don't, I don't see either of them in this game. It's not, it doesn't seem like the type of game where they uh, really get off. So I think it'll probably be, you'll probably see Tyreek Hill as, as the number one option for, for KC in this game, especially because I think Houston is going to be, it's, they're going to have to zero in on Kelsey after he had the big game. That's just kind of how the NFL works. You don't want, you don't want a player to do what they did last week all over again on you. That's just embarrassing. So that's why you kind of see that variance in the NFL. Um, so yeah, let's get to these bowl calls and then get out of here. Uh, TJ, who you got for a, uh, player bowl call? Uh, player, I, I mentioned this really good situation. I mentioned his, his work, uh, total going up to, to what we expect to see. Uh, I think Le'Veon goes bonkers. I like 200 total yards from Le'Veon against that Funnel Jags defense this week. Okay, I could see it too. I got Des Bryant. I think he's going to score three touchdowns. Against the Green Bay Packers, uh, just he's leading the league in targets inside the 10. Touchdown scoring is his specialty. Green Bay Packers, weak against wide receivers. As I mentioned, could be a high-scoring game. I think they're going to need to score to keep up with Aaron Rodgers. So going with Dez, three touchdowns against the Packers. What about for a uh, game or team uh, bold call? Yeah, I mentioned uh, that the Giants are implied for nine points over their points per game average. Uh, I, I think that they've been showing some signs of life, 23 and 24 points in the last couple of weeks. I'd like them to drop a 40 spot on San Diego this week. Oh, man. If that if that happened, I mean, the the San Diego, the, I don't even want to see the headlines <laughs> of just... It's, like, it's, it's, just tr- it's trending towards a... I, I sh- it, we're still saying San Diego, Los Angeles Chargers. Yeah, it's, Los Angeles. They're going to be back in San Diego if they if they get 40 dropped on them this week. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, oh, man. They, it just seems like every time they play, you just see, like, cutaways to Phillip Rivers on the sideline, just, like, stroking his head and just, like, <laughs> in disbelief. Or just, it's just hilarious. Um, But for my uh, game bowl calls, I, I'm going with, I think there are going to be four different road teams that opened as underdogs that are going to win this week. So I, I'll start with the, I already talked about the Jets. I think they, they're a pick them now, but they did open as a road underdog. I think they're going to win. I think my bowl call last week was that they were going to beat Jacksonville, um, hold them to single digits. They didn't hold them to single digits, but they did win. I, I think they're going to beat Cleveland. I think that the Buffalo Bills are going to go into Cincinnati and win. I think that's going to be a close game, tough sledding for both offenses, but in a close game like that, give me the quarterback that can extend plays and, you know, make things happen when, when you need in Tyrod Taylor um, versus Andy Dalton, you know, that, that offensive line is still um, not very good. And then I think Baltimore is going to go into Oakland. They're three point underdogs. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to go into Oakland and win that game. I, I think we still, Baltimore still has a, a solid defense. You know, people might forget that because, you know, what, of what happened in London and then they played the Steelers last week and it's hard to stop Le'Veon Bell, but Baltimore still has a good defense. They're going to be playing an Oakland team without Derek Carr. And we saw how inept that team looked without Derek Carr uh, in last year's playoffs. And they're going to be starting EJ Manuel, Amari Cooper. I don't know what's going on with him. Knee issues, drop issues, not good as Michael Crabtree issues. (laughs) 
So I'm going, <laughs> I'm going with Baltimore to, to go into Oakland, get a win. Um, Joe Flacco maybe gets, gets on track a little bit there. Maybe some Alex Collins. And then for this game that we were talking so much about, I think Arizona is going in there. West Coast team traveling to the East Coast. I think they're going to go in and knock off Philly. I think that six and a half spread is just too much. I think, I think it's, I think it's public perception kind of overweighting the home field advantage and the West team traveling East. But I just think that Arizona, matches up perfectly to Philly on both sides of the ball. Because on, on defense, you have Patrick Peterson who can take away Alshon Jeffrey. You have, uh, you know, Arizona covers tight ends really well as well. Um, they, they use Tyvon Branch and just a bunch of different players. Deion Buchanan's healthy. They just, they tend to take away tight ends. They've done this for, for a, a while now going back to the last couple of seasons. So they're probably the first team where I, I hesitate to play Zach Ertz, uh, this week. Um, and then, so that leaves the real weakness for Arizona is, you know, the other cornerback positions, but that's Torrey Smith on Justin Bethel. So I think, you know, that's a, could Torrey Smith come alive? Sure. But I mean, I, I'd bet against that. And then the slot position is another one, but they've been giving up a ton of volume to the slot with Tyron Matthew, but the production really hasn't been there. He's been giving up like five yards of target to that position. So, you know, Nelson Aguilar might catch a lot of balls, but I don't know if it'll be uh, of, of consequence. So I like that matchup there. And I think the, the player that Philly it's, it's killing Philly that they're missing in this game is Darren Sproles, because he's a guy that could be that X factor that could, okay, well, if, if Ertz is covered and, and Jeffrey's covered, we could kind of, you know, motion out Sproles, but now you don't have him. Smallwood's banged up. So I just really like the way Arizona's defense matches up. And on the other side of the ball, I already talked about it. I think Arizona's strength, the wide receiver position matches up perfectly with Philly's weakness at the cornerback position. I think Arizona will relentlessly just throw the ball on them and go in there um, and surprise some people in, and get that win. Yeah, I like that. Especially you talked about spot checking those lines before you look at them. I couldn't believe that Baltimore was an underdog to an EJ Manuel team. <laughs> right. And it's because it's, it's just, I think it's, this is one of those weeks where, you know, so much kind of crazy stuff happened in week three and even more crazy stuff happened last week. And I think now, you know, these lines to some degree, they, they, you know, yes, they have to be good lines and they, but they also have to kind of get, you know, even action to some extent, you know, the books don't want to get killed. They, they have to kind of play to this public perception. I think at this point, they're just kind of playing it safe where, where they're just giving these home teams these, these, these favorite spreads just because they're at home. And I don't think, I don't necessarily think it matters in this case. Like, sure, if you're going to Arrowhead, you know, or you're going to, to Buffalo in December or Lambeau in December, yeah, that home field advantage is important. But is Oakland's home field advantage really that important in, in early October without their quarterback and with their wide receiver position in a state of flux? Like, I don't think so. I mean, the one thing is Khalil Mack, you know, he could give, Baltimore problems, but I mean, that's true every week, no matter who they play. So uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's a really weird, really weird week. Um, for that, I was actually pretty surprised that, that Cincinnati's a favorite over mm-hmm. Buffalo as well. I mean, Buffalo's three and one. They went into, I know, I know Atlanta lost Julio and Sanu, but I mean, to go to Atlanta, win that game three and one. I mean, the only game Buffalo lost, they gave up nine points. So I think that defense can travel and I don't really see Cincinnati being able to, to, to beat them. If Buffalo scores more than, you know, 13 points, maybe. So, um, should be an interesting week. We'll see how the bowl calls turn out. Thank you guys for listening to DFS MVP. Reminder, if you rate and review the podcast on iTunes and send a screenshot to DFS MVP at 
444.com. You can get 25% off a 444 DFS subscription. Of course, we have those uh, schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed. We have those GPP leverage scores we talked about. We have TJ doing slate breakdowns, me doing slate breakdowns. Told you to wrote up Tyler Croft and some other great plays uh, last week. So, you know, great sub. Check it out. Um, do that rate and review. Get your coupon. And, uh, We'll catch you guys next week. Follow TJ on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. Follow me on Twitter at Chris Raybon. Any last words, TJ? It's it's time to get shmoney. Let's get this shmoney. You focus on the past, your ass will be your half what. That's one to live by, or either that's one to die to. I try to just throw it at you. Determine your own adventure, Andre. Got to a station, here's my destination. She got off the bus, the conversation lingered in my head for hours. Took a shower, kind of sour, because my favorite group ain't coming with it. But I'm with you, because you're probably going through it anyway. But anyhow, I went and died. Went on out and bought it, because I thought it would be jamming. But examine all the flaws, get walls, get off it. Sand and